the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's hour two of four right here on The George Show on this Tuesday, 30 January. Chuck Kirk at 10, followed by all the big guys I keep telling you about. Little Dennis, Seb, Brandon, and frankly, it's just all the big, smarty, smart super successful guys you don't get the real radio real local radio again until 6 a.m tomorrow so stay plugged in right now we've only got a few hours left we're going to fill some of that time with friend of the show she's been on a bunch lately but for all good reasons she stays super active uh our good friend from complete colorado page two sherry pipe sherry thanks for joining us morning now listen for anyone that hasn't followed your postings on social media um, Sherry and I had the opportunity to be at the same place at the same time last Thursday, and you captioned it something like we're at the same bar. Or in the, And I joke about that all the time, and I told myself, well, listen, if it's become just sort of this routine stereotype, I'm not going to do it. But I will say when we were together on Thursday, Sherry had just the faintest odor of bourbon meets medicinal grade marijuana. And I can't I don't know what it was, but I'm kidding. It, that's not <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally kidding. No, that, you know that's that's your trademark. That's your trademark thing, George, and everybody loves you for it. You I, know? Uh, I just want to know that at some point in your future, someone encounters you and goes, "Why are you always calling George from a bar parking lot or something like that? Like, why are you always on the show from a bar?" And you can let them know it's just the life you live. No, that it's a it's well, all a big joke. <laughs> yeah, and you know it's 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 funny to know the people that didn't get it because i said on my post for those of you that will get this yeah and then i would get little i got a couple little text messages here and there one or two from friends that were like i thought you guys were at a forum tonight (laughs) that is both funny and sad for us that not every single person on the planet listens but you know what can you do Uh, i wanted to talk to you about two things one that and then i want to get to this this is crazy town, but the this bill draft that you have for something that's the bill topic. It doesn't have, I don't know if it has the official title, but concerning prohibiting carrying a firearm in sensitive spaces. <laughs> I, we'll get to that yeah. in a moment. First off, the forum. Um, you're always there. You're always at all these big events and stuff like this. What are your takeaways? You know, um, yeah, I... This was probably, you know, I've been a member of Women of Weld now for several years, and this was probably um, the, well, it, not even probably, this was definitely the most viewed, the most watched, the most anticipated, uh, the most wanted and needed, maybe, of any of the forums that we've ever done. I mean, you've moderated most of those forums as well. And, you know, we did that one that year at the Grizzly Rose that I think you were a moderator yeah, for. Yeah, that's the, right. The year of the Senate race and everything. and. And this was probably the biggest one we've done yet. Um, and what I took away from it is most of these candidates, and this is what this is what drives me crazy. Most of these candidates are pretty similar on their opinions of most topics. 
Um, but yet we can get people in the room who will think that they're polar opposites. Um, but I think out of, you know, if you look at like CD4, oh, what were there, nine people up on stage? Out of those nine people, I think six or seven of them could do the job, <laughs> you know? Oh, now, Sherry, you're going to make me ask the question, who are the two that can't? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, there I'm not gonna go. <laughs> <laughs> you can text those in later. Billy will read them on yeah. the air. Yeah, that that that'll that'll work. Um, you know, everybody has an opinion, but for the most part, I think we still, if we would just see it from within inside ourselves, most of us agree on a lot of the things that they spoke about the other night. And you know, there was a lot of repeats. Uh, you know, as you went down the line. CD8, um, same thing. You'd get a candidate who would say something, and the candidate right next to him would be like, you know, I have to agree with my Yeah, friend. yeah, a lot of that or, between Scott you know, and Gabe for sure. Yeah. So, you know, it was. Um, it, it's not going to be an easy CD4, especially. I mean, you're going to – I don't know how many of those candidates are going to go through assembly. I would venture to bet most of them are. And, you know, normally you need at least 30% plus one vote to get onto the primary That's ballot. Right. I think you're going to see maybe two people come out of assembly. They, they could do the hybrid, though, Sherry, and this is where I failed. And it's it's my fault, not Ernest, because he said for me to bring it up, I totally forgot. I was going to ask the CD4 people the same question the CD8ers got, and that was, how are you going to access the ballot? Just assembly, just petition, or hybrid? <clears throat> and I failed to do that. But if they were to each petition, in a di- and they're not, but if they were to each petition in addition to the assembly, then they lower the bar to 10%. We could have eight or nine people, I mean, theoretically escape there. Yes, but that's where I think the biggest problem is in CD4. I don't think you can do the hybrid model in CD4. And here's why. I think you either have to take your chances with assembly, because assembly, nobody's going to get 30%. You're going to get two people. If, if all of those candidates were to go through assembly, you're going to get two people that come out of that assembly with maybe 10, 11, 12 percent. And if you can't get 30 percent, then it's going to be the top two vote getters. They're not. Nobody's going to get 30 percent in CD4. So you're going to get the top two vote getters. So you can't really do hybrid model because you have to have 10 percent to come out. Well, if you can't even get 10 percent by doing assembly only, if you don't get that 10% and you've collected those signatures, those signatures no longer count. You have to get 10% if you're going to do both. You, I think the candidates in CD4 are either going to have to petition on, and I'll come back to Deb Flora in a minute, or go through the assembly. Because it, the hybrid model is just not going to work, because I honestly don't know if any of those candidates are going to come out of there with much more than 10%. If they all go through assembly, mm. back to Deb Flora, if you look back to that Senate race, so there were so many people running for that Senate race. I said the same thing back then. I said, folks, you best be petitioning on. You've got too many people running for office. No, you're going to be lucky if you get one person that comes out of the, out of the assembly. Um, you need to be petitioning on. And I think there are a lot of people that ran for that Senate race Looking back, that would have wished they would have petitioned on because that's exactly what happened. There were too many people. The vote was split, and we ended up with Ron Hanks coming out of out of assembly. And then you had Joe O'Day who petitioned on. Well, There's, honestly, G- Gino and Deb could have afforded a petition on, and it would have changed exactly. that ballot quite a bit. And that's and that's where I go back to. I wonder if Deb looks back now on that Senate race as she's running for CD four and says, "Hmm." 
maybe I should just petition on this time because, again, she's caught up in a race where there are so many people. And there was nine people there, but there's ten people in the race. So, you know, and a lot of those people have many of the same supporters, and there's going to be a lot of split votes. You're going to see a situation where I think you have um, candidates like Jerry Sonnenberg and Mike Lynch and Richard Holtorf and Peter Yu, and those guys are going to split one set of the vote, and then you're going to have another set of uh, voters where it's going to be Lauren Boebert and Ted Harvey, and, and, and that group is going to split that. Is Deb, Deb in that group, too? Is Deb in the Ted Harvey Boebert group? I think she is. I think it's, I think it's Lauren Boebert, um, Deb, Flora, uh, Ted Harvey. I think that's one group, and then you've got the other group that includes you know all of the current legislators, and I would put Peter Yu in with those guys. Peter did a remarkable job the other night, and I don't know how many people came up to me afterwards and said, wow, Peter did a really good job. What's, uh, what's crazy about that, too, is that's not the first time Peter's been on that stage. In fact, the no. last time we were there together for that Senate forum a couple of years ago, I think Peter was mm-hmm. on that mm-hmm. stage as well. And he always does well. Like when people meet and he presents, he always does well. But what a lot of candidates don't appreciate is that is like a sliver of the kind of support that you need to make it onto the ballot and advance to the general and maybe even win the the general. I found that out the hard way with Professor Phil. It doesn't matter how many debates or forums you mop up the floor with with someone. It doesn't matter. Like you have to be able to get to the people that are going to be carpet bombed with those ballots. Agreed. hundred percent. hundred percent. So I don't know. You know, I don't see I don't see a hybrid model working in CD4 at all. I just I just don't see how it can work, because if you if you have 10, even if you have eight of those candidates continue on through the assembly and all eight of those candidates go on to the assembly, that's, you know, do the math. hundred percent. You're looking at 10 to 12 percent if they all got an equal share of the voting. And, you know, they're not going to all get an equal share of the voting. When you when you look at this, and I've had this theory now from the beginning, the more people that are on that primary ballot, the easier it is for Lauren to win this thing. Correct. You know, I see. Uh, I think anybody only needs to look at some anybody only needs to look at some bank accounts to get that that through their head. One point three million dollars. I mean, she came into the CD four race with one point three million dollars. I got an email yesterday, and I'm sure we all got it from Gabe Evans. Excited because in the fourth quarter of last year he had raised one hundred and seventy thousand. Yes, I saw that. I saw that. I saw you know, that. So, so Lauren Boebert comes into this race with a windfall of money that none of these other candidates have. And name so ID that right. none of these candidates have. What's that? And Kennedy. name ID that Absolutely. none of these candidates have. Absolutely. And she's, you know, for, for for all intents and purposes, she was not wrong the other night on stage when she said, "Listen." You may, your farms may grow a different product, but I still understand rural Colorado. And she's not wrong. I wonder, too, how this thing would play out if it was just, I'm making these names up, like Jerry versus Lauren, you know, Holtor versus Lauren, Deb versus Lauren. Different outcome. I mean, what's your perception of how, at least in that room, and then I'll ask you broader than that, in that room, how Lauren was received, and then in your running around the rest of the jurisdiction, what's your sense? Um, Lauren Lauren was not received well at all in that room. Um, I don't think Lauren is going to do well in Weld County. And the bulk of the people that were in that room that night were Weld County. 
I don't think she's going to do well in Weld County. Um, that being said, the rest of the county, um, she's got, you know, and I don't think she's going to do well on the Eastern Plains either. But she's got Douglas County, and Douglas County does she makes really? up almost. Uh, I think she does, and it, they make up almost fifty percent of the vote in that district. And I think that the, I think she aligns with Douglas County voters more than she aligns with anybody. Um, so I think that's, I think that's where Lauren, if Lauren is able to pull this out, which don't get me wrong, I don't think Lauren is able to pull this out. I think Lauren. That's so interesting. Think, so interesting. Keep I, going. Yeah, I think this is going to be Lauren's last term in Congress. I really don't think she's going to pull this out. She, people don't like, and I don't care if it's a fresh start for your family, and I can understand where she's coming from, and I can understand her motive behind wanting to start over and get her boys going. I was a single mom myself and you know, wanted distractions from things. But people don't like people who proclaim to um, want to help them, but they only wanted to help them after they realized that they couldn't help the people they were already helping, and they, you know... I hate the term carpetbagger, but it is what it is. And people don't like it. We see it election after election after election where these congressional seats where people, you know, look at CD8 in the last election. You had a great guy, um, an, you know, Air Force veteran jump into the race in CD8. He was a nice guy and he had all the great ideas, but he moved from the district that he was in so that he could run in CD8. He barely made it made a showing in primary. Um, people don't like that. They don't like when people infringe on their turf. Um, because it looks like it's more, it's, it's swampy. You know, it, it's just, it's swampy. She, her, her narrative for this is, and I'm, I'm in no position to say it's not true, but her narrative for this is, listen, I've gone through this horrible thing with my family, you know, going through this divorce. We need a fresh start. We need to move. I just don't know if it's resonating. True or not is not as important as whether or not it's believed. And I think so many people see this as more political than personal. Um, I just don't know. I've had a lot of people, Sherry, like you say, um, yeah, I think she's vulnerable. I don't think she's going to make it. But at the end of the day, I'm trying to do the math on how many people are on the ballot, how many people will get ballots carpet bombed in the second largest jurisdiction in the state and one of the largest in the region. And that money, I mean, the, the, the fo- other folks just aren't going to have the dollars to go up on the air the way she is and get into digital media the way she does. Um, I don't know. I just, if, if there's two people, great. Uh, but three or more, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, dis- I don't disagree with you. And that's why I keep going back and forth with her because she definitely has the name recognition and the money far exceeding any of her opponents. What she doesn't have, however, in CD4 is the, the following and the um, commitment and the, uh, I mean, let's, take, look, let's look at Jerry Sonnenberg. Four out of those nine candidates, when you ask the question, who would you vote for if you weren't running in the race? Four out of those nine candidates said Jerry Sonnenberg. I know. So if you have, if you have those four people drop out of that race because they don't make it or they don't make it through assembly, and those four people then go to their, their supporters and say, hey, man, get yourself behind Jerry Sonnenberg, that's four candidates plus Jerry. You, that's basically five candidates worth of, of supporters that you've now narrowed down to. You know, the only candidate in that entire um, in that entire row that refused to answer that question was Deb Flora, which is frustrating. It is frustrating. It's just, it's You're right, because her answer was, I'm still learning about the candidates. And it's like, well, really? Yeah, yeah. I get you don't want to throw your support behind somebody, but you're not. 
You're not throwing your support behind somebody. It's an innocent question that anybody can answer. But you're and, right. It was Jerry. You know, the other thing, Sherry, is uh, and I don't, I've never asked you how long you've been in Colorado or well, but I take pride in the fact that in Douglas County, I've been there 28 years, which given the growth of Douglas County makes me kind of a longer term guy there. Jerry's been a generational like generation. Mm-hmm. He and Holtorf and these others have owned property that their parents and their grandparents worked for. I mean, going back forever. Um, and it makes them different. Yeah. I also think the rurals are, are at the place now where they're like, damn it, we need representation. We need someone who comes from us. And I wonder if that can overwhelm the population center of Denver. I mean, I'm sorry, of Douglas County, because you're right. That's the, that's the biggest bulk of the votes. I, I, think, I think you're right. And I have been, I'm a generational Coloradoan. I'm a fourth generation Coloradan. Wow. I've lived in, I've not only lived in Colorado for 56 years, I've lived in House District 50 for 54 years. Oh my I've goodness. Lived, Since you were prenatal. Wow. Exactly. You know, <laughs> um, and you're right. It's, it is very generational. And when you look at the people that were on that stage, you saw, um, you saw Weld County say, okay, we're getting behind the people like Gary Sonnenberg and Richard Holtorf and Mike Lynch, the people who have been in the trenches of Weld and Weld County and all of the smaller counties to the east behind us for a very long time. And, and these people know these people and they trust these people. And, you know, you even had Richard Holtorf say, you know, with everything that has gone on in the last couple of weeks, Richard Holtorf said if he wasn't running, he'd vote for Mike Lynch. So I think at the end of the day, it comes down to in the final say of the of the of the straw, I think it comes down to Richard, Jerry, Mike and Lauren. Those are the final four that I think you look at. That's so interesting. And there were a couple moments there of open mouth kissing between Holtorf and Lynch and Jerry and Ted. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like when they were each like, yep. I pick yep. you, I pick you. And then it was almost, if you could, there would have been an embrace. Do you know what I mean? There would have yeah. been some sort of a, an awkward moment. Somebody y'all party. Yeah. Yeah. An yeah. Awkward moment. Yeah. There, there was a little bit of that. Um, can we shift gears, by the way, to yep. uh, this bill, this draft bill that would prohibit the carrying of firearms in, quote unquote, sensitive spaces? What's going on here? And has this thing officially dropped yet or did you just get your hands on a draft? I just got my hands on a draft. Um, it hasn't dropped yet that I'm aware of. So basically, the bill makes Colo- the entire state of Colorado a sensitive space. I mean, if you look at this bill, there is not many places inside this bill that it's not, a, it's not a sensitive space. They have targeted um, theaters and nursing homes and private private venues. I mean, they're saying you can't even do this in a private venue if you have more than so many people that can fit in there and all this other stuff, you know. And in some cases, the sidewalks and the streets that are adjacent to the private, to the, to the places that are they're considering sensitive spaces. This bill mirrors a bill that was passed in California oh, God. that has, <laughs> surprise shock, I know that has already passed in California and is already in the courts in California where I think what is it the Ninth Circuit court out there in California said um, no this bill is so unconstitutional it's not even funny you have just declared the entire state of California off limits to the right to bear arms and it's now tied up in court and even the liberal justices in California have said this bill is not constitutional. You cannot do this. They have pretty much labeled, I mean, I could go through the list, but if, if that the only place that's not a sensitive space in Colorado will be the privacy of your own home. 
you will no longer be able to carry it in your car. You will no longer be able to carry it um, into into parks. You will no longer be able to carry it into, um, I, I mean, it, it's ridiculous, the places that they've named in this bill. And what they're doing is they're pushing the limits to see how far they can go, how much they can take care of, and they want to tie up everybody on the on the right in court throughout the election season because if you have people in court battling second amendment bills then you don't have the money that those people put into those Isn't that interesting to battle elections so you don't think this is a good faith bill that's like just because and i presume it's like a tom sullivan special i mean i would guess he's somewhere associated with this i don't, I don't see his name on here but it's a uh, Jacquez Lewis and Cole. Oh, yep, there's Sullivan on the Senate side, and then Brown yep. and Lindsey. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. recognize a single Republican name on there. Um, <laughs> but you think that this is really something else? This is meant to really just suck people into court and resources into court instead of a good faith effort to pass this? Because why wouldn't this thing pass? I mean, is there any indication that very libertarian uh, Governor Jared Polis would veto this thing? You know, he's, he's, he, well, you know, we didn't get the, the assault weapons ban in the last session because Governor Polis threatened to veto it. I would really hope that that would be the same case here. I don't think that, I don't know, I don't think that the legislators, the Democrats sat around a table and said, how many bills can we throw at the wall that will, that will uh, you know, distract people and make them spend money on it so that they don't spend money on the election? I don't think that's what they did. But I do, I, I do believe, and there is no doubt in my mind, this bill Tom Sullivan believes is 100% what we need to do. I have no doubt in my mind he actually believes that. I think what they've done is said, we need to throw every bill at the wall that we can, see which one sticks, so that we can move our, move our needle a little bit more in gun control in Colorado. Um, because that's what these people really do want. I don't think a single legislator that puts their name on this bill doesn't really want this bill. They honestly believe that if you go someplace and all the guns are taken out of the situation, that you will be a safer person. They, they honestly believe that. But here's the deal. They think it's so super serious that you not carry a gun here that they've made it an unclassified misdemeanor to violate this crazy law. And it's punishable by a $250 fine. If they really thought that carrying these guns was making everybody unsafe to the to the degree that they that they suggest, you would think that they would say you're going to jail for a year. If you bring a gun into these kinds of they don't they don't there's something weird about this like it's just to be able to announce look what we've done right and and and, and i agree and i think i go back to what i said about this is a matter of seeing how many of these we can get to stick to start the process because if it happens in colorado it can happen somewhere else and next year we can come back and we can tweak the penalty and the following year we can come back and we can add a few more safe spaces and the following year it's, it's just a cycle it's the cycle that they go through you know, start small and think big. But, you know, I think what this bill does that's even worse that, you know, we haven't talked about yet is what it does to the ability for these small rural schools to be able to determine who they want to be their armed security. This- oh, this is like faster. Our friend Laura Carno in Faster Colorado. This seems and I'm looking at it now, the, the draft you sent, Sherry, and they actually uh-huh. strike the language that says uh-huh. a permittee, that's a who can carry a firearm, it, who is employed or retained by contract by a school district or charter school as a school security officer 
may carry a concealed handgun onto the real property, blah, 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 of a public elementary, middle, junior, high, or high school while the permittee is on duty. They strike that language. They do. And so right now you have just under FASTER. So FASTER with Laura Carno, the group that trains school staff to be um, not only proficient in in, carry, in concealed carrying on a school, but also trains them in life-saving techniques and how to get, you know, how to get things taken care of if you're involved in a mass shooting. Um, Laura's group has trained over 400 school members in the state of Colorado, or staff members in the state of Colorado to do exactly this. And that's just her group. That doesn't include the people that have done it on their own or have gone somewhere else. But you've got school districts and charter schools and private schools across the state of Colorado where they have, and they have been open with it in the public, they have openly said, our staff may have a gun on them. If I'm the bad guy and I'm going into a, into a school and I see signs all over town, I mean, if you, if you go to the town of Bennett, Colorado, they embrace the fact that their staff is, their staff is armed. Every school building has a sign on it that says, you know, based, I don't know the exact wording, but basically enter at your own risk, our staff is, our staff could be armed. You know, Briggsdale up in, in northern, in northeastern Colorado, their staff can be armed. You've got private schools all around the state where those, that staff is armed. Right now, charter schools, I know of a couple charter schools in my own town where that staff is allowed to be armed. It's, it's, it takes all of that away. So places like Bennett and Briggsdale, where the response time from the Adams County or the Weld County Sheriff's Department could be upwards of a half hour. It's crazy. You know, um, these people are not going to be allowed to protect their own and make their own decisions as to whether or not that is okay because they have stricken this from the bill. But, you know, sure, the, the, the overarching go- uh, thing of this is it's another assault on local control. Like, this is the state saying, we know better than you do about what the needs of your community are, and no parents of a charter school or other, you're not allowed to try to defend yourselves from some sort of criminal element. That's our business. What's interesting about this is not only does it strike that version of local control, it makes sure to go out of its way to put language that says, oh, by the way, local governments, you can be more restrictive than this. This allows you, you can can ban things from more places, but you can't ban things from less places. You can't permit them here pretty offensive correct and if you think about it if if i can sit here on the radio and tell everybody in colorado that the town of bennett and the town of briggsdale that their school district and there's many of them they're just the two that i know off the top of my head but if i can sit here and and tell people that those school districts have done this if i know that don't you think the parents of the students in the schools know that and if they're if the parents of those students in those schools were that frustrated or that worried or that upset about the decisions that those school districts have made, they would either pull their children from the school district or we, you know we'd be hearing about it in, in traditional media. You know if there was one single parent out of the entire town of Bennett that wanted to raise a stink about the fact that his son's math teacher carried, that would be all over the news. Also, <laughs> by the way, when's the last time we saw a school shooting or some other shooting in a governmental building that involved a CCW permit holder, which this thing uh, yeah. takes away there. There. When does that happen? Like, I, I seem to have some passing familiarity and memory of things like Columbine, Aurora, STEM, Arapahoe, Mountain Vista, fill in the blank. And ain't Jackie, none of them involved anybody that this yeah, law would have no. deterred. 
No, no. And you're absolutely correct. And I think that is the that is the key piece in this. People who carry people who take the effort, the time and the money to get a concealed carry permit are the exact people that you want to have carrying a gun around the state of Colorado. I used to I tell people all the time when I was actually in the in the state house every single day covering the legislature every single day, I chose to cover the Senate more than I chose to cover the House. And that was because and I and I was open about it back then. At that point, this country was going through a really like weird time where there was like a mass shooting like every other day. At that point in time, I would go over to the Senate because I knew the Republicans had control of the Senate at the time. And I knew 90 percent of those Republican senators were packing. And if something went wrong in the state capitol, I was protected. I mean, I literally chose that for that very reason. And and many people do. This is going to end up becoming a campaign issue, too, for candidates for district attorney this year and for Mm -hmm. sheriffs in two years. Because much Mm -hmm. like the red flag law, you're going to hear people questioned, what will you do? What will you do? Until a uh, court, an appellate court or the Supreme Court weighs in and says, no, this is unconstitutional for Colorado, you're going to put these people in a predicament where you're going to ask them what's going to happen when someone calls up and says, hey, a parent brought uh, a gun onto the school grounds and they have a CCW. What Are you going to arrest them? Are you going to ticket them? Are you And then DA, right. what are you going to do with these cases? And what they're looking to do is to find people that will say, I simply am not going to enforce this law because I think it's unconstitutional, creating, I think, for them, a campaign issue once they get to the broader general election in some places. I just there's other payoffs for the Dems for this nonsense. Oh, I agree completely. There, there, there is no doubt whatsoever. Hopefully this has played out in court before all that starts to happen. But you're right. I mean. I I remember a time, you know, like I said, I've lived in Colorado for 56 years. When I was in high school, my friends drove their trucks onto the school property with their shotguns in the back window. And this is not a joke. You know, you hear about people walking both ways to school uphill, you know, barefoot. Yeah, in yeah, the yeah. Snow. Not a joke. My friends, and, and I, there's a ton of people, hundreds, thousands of people that can say this. When we were in high school, we had our shotguns in the bed of our trucks waiting to leave school so that we could, you know, go target practice out in the middle of nowhere. Oh, my God, if you did that today, there would be and, – and these are high school kids that had their rifles in the, in the, you know, in the windows of their trucks. Nobody bothered them. Nobody said anything. Nothing ever went wrong. Nothing ever happened. And you had, you know, high school kids carrying their, their shotguns and their rifles in the, in the bed of their truck. Bonkers it's- stuff here, Sherry. I need you to please keep coming back on to keep us up to date on this stuff because um, I don't know what this thing's going to look like if and when it drops. And, and, again, I guess there's no time limit. They could drop this thing three days before the end of the session and find a way to ramrod mm-hmm. it through. Do you have any intel as to what's next? No. Um, in fact, in my in, in that story, I list off about 10 other bills. I mean, these are my guess. This hasn't dropped yet because they're trying to get it to a point where it's palatable to the governor. Um, I just don't know if they can get it palatable enough um, to not. I mean, it's, it's going to be there's about 10 or 11 gun control measures that are going to be dropped. What? This session, and it's like they're all in my story. It's like one thing right after another. You know, last year was a three-day waiting period. This, remember when I just said a little bit ago, you start here and then you come back and you tweak? Well, last year they passed a three-day waiting period. This year they want to tweak it to 10 days. 
Be- because in, in, in the time that we've had the three day, or we're like, it's not doing good enough. I mean, what? <laughs> what what's the justification exactly. for adding another week on? Like, well, because yeah, they wanted they wanted it, you know, a week. They wanted it ten days last year, but the only way they could get it palatable enough to get it passed was to make it three. So we come back this year, and now we make it ten. Have you seen a draft of that? What, just such garbage. Um, yeah, I haven't seen that draft yet, but I do know that that's in the works. Yeah, I think part of the problem, too, is when you look at all of those major shooting cases that we talked about, and I didn't even mention Club Q and these others, not a single one of them would have been prevented by a three-day waiting period. Maybe they're just going to try to create a waiting period long enough that they can say, if we'd only built in a two-year waiting period, we could have prevented the Aurora Theater Massacre. We could, I mean, just silliness. If it saves just one life, and and, and oh, I'm yeah. not saying that in jest, but yeah. that is truly that nothing is going to ever just save one life. If we're really truly worried about making sure that everybody is safe in their homes and that nothing's going to happen to them, then we need to ban alcohol and we need to ban <laughs> automobiles. Uh, what, we need to ban, you know, there's where so would you do al- your interviews? I mean, if we banned alcohol, where would you be right now? <laughs> you know, that's a really good question. Okay, we can't ban alcohol. No, I'm just um, <laughs> But yeah, you're right. So, I see where you're going. You're right. Yeah, there's so much out there. When do we start letting people protect themselves? And when do we start letting people? Um, you know, I said from the very beginning, way back in Columbine, um, I said back then, I'm not going to live my life in fear. My life is in the hands of God, and when my time comes, it's going to come, whether that be by a mass shooter, by a heart attack, or by old age. I don't know what that is. But when are we going to start letting people live their lives and making the decisions that they want to make and do the things that they want to do and stop nannying everybody just to save one life? Well, Sherry, this is great stuff, as always. Uh, People can find all your great writing uh, if they just Google Complete Colorado, page two, Sherry Pife. She's going to text in the two people that were on that stage last Thursday who she doesn't think can do the job. Billy's going to read them from a listener called Perry Scheif. No relation at all. Uh, We're going to get to that later in the show. We've taken you long, Sherry, for the obvious reasons. Thanks for doing this. We'll talk to you very soon. You bet. Thanks, George. Take care. (laughs) Bye-bye. I have blown up this entire hour with this nonsense. Billy, very, very disappointed. We're going to try to make him and you happier by cutting away to a break right now. It's George Brockler, 710 KNUS. George Brockler back with you here, 710 KNUS. Really long session, but a really good one with Sherry Pye from Complete Colorado, page two. We talked a little bit about that forum that was up north, but this uh, this draft bill that I'm holding in my hands right now, available, by the way, through a link off of Sherry's article. So go check that out at Complete Colorado, page two. A bill for an act concerning prohibiting carrying a firearm in sensitive spaces. Uh, this one is a big one. Uh, one of the things I didn't get to talk to Sherry about, and you heard her description, quite frankly, as I go through it, and uh, I have received a a little bit of education on the whole law thing, it it looks to me that this thing is as big an attack on local control and local local decision-making as we've ever seen. And this is a trend that started 
long ago and not just with firearms. I'm trying to find the bill, but if you'll remember, there was a bill, and you know who will remember this is John Caldera, that allowed, you know, we used to have statewide protection for Second Amendment issues. And then the legislature changed the law and said, no, no, Boulder ought to be able to try to ban what they call assault rifles. I got to find that law. But that began this. But it's not enough. Now it's not enough because you know what? Some of those localities are just too stupid to see things the way the metro area do-gooders from the Dems see things. So if you've got the Bennett Colorados, which I've been to many, many times, uh, described by Sherry Pife, or any of these other rural jurisdictions who have made the decision to engage uh, our good friend Laura Carno and Faster Colorado in a training program that allows them to have people in the schools that can actually respond to something before the cops get there after five or ten. And by the way, no knock on the police. It's just when you live in a rural jurisdiction that has a population spread out over a giant area and you have a handful of police, what can you do? It's the opposite of Denver, or it should be, where you have 8 billion people living on top of each other and a ton of police co-located with them to respond to things. So, But this bill is, is nutty. How about this? I'm going to read you some of the language it strikes out. It seeks to amend an existing statute called unlawfully carrying a firearm at a polling location. Now, initially... The language for that statute, and it's CRS 1-13-724, subsection 1A, under legislative declaration. This is when the legislature gets to come out and vomit up things that are untethered to reality. They just get to say them. And so uh, here's subsection Roman numeral 3. Initially, it said, open carried firearms in or near a polling location or drop box may, may intimidate, threaten, or coerce voters affecting Coloradans exercise of their voting rights. Now, first off, that might be true. And that's what they're saying might be true. So that's a good reason to to ban them being there. But now they've scratched openly carried. So get this concealed carry firearms in or near a polling location may intimidate, threaten or coerce voters. That's what they're saying. What? If you don't know it's there, how can you be intimidated, threatened, or coerced if you don't know it's there? It's just nonsense. They strike openly carried from this throughout. Here's another one. They make it unlawful for any person to simply carry a firearm. This is just an assault on concealed carry. And you know what it reminds me of? If you think back to, and I'd love to get your feedback, by the way, on this, 303-696-1971, two big questions. If this becomes the law of the land, at least temporarily, once it becomes passed, and let's presume it gets signed by the claimed libertarian Jared Polis, um, are you going to obey this law? Are you going to follow this? Or are you going to be like, I appreciate your input, but I'm still going to protect me and my family? And then the other big question is the one I asked Sherry. This is going to become a campaign issue for sheriff's deputies or for sheriffs and DAs. And that'll be especially in Republican areas, nobody's going to care in Boulder or Jeffco or Denver or Adams or Arapahoe County anymore. It's going to be a question that will be used in Douglas County. It'll be a question that is used in Mesa County, in, uh, in Weld. And that will be, are you going to follow the law and prosecute people who get charged with this ridiculous charge? And when I say ridiculous charge, if it was that serious you'd put more than a $250 fine on it, right? You, you would make it a jailable offense. 
Right now, it's like a petty offense on steroids. And even some petty offenses you can go to jail on. But remember, here's where the Democrats are struggling. They want to criminalize guns for law-abiding people. They want to make convicted felons eligible to possess firearms. They've done those things. But they're torn because they hate the idea of incarceration. Nobody that commits a crime should ever be incarcerated. So they're like, what can we do to, oh, I guess we'll just do the fine. Will you follow this law? 303-696-1971 is the number here. Uh, This is a law that once again says locals are too stupid to govern themselves. This is a tough one. My guess is you're going to have, and this should be the answer for any candidate for a public safety office that has asked this. And, And let me tell you what the consequence, by the way, the next step after this is. And I'll tell you that after the break. There needs to be an answer that says, I am obviously very concerned and skeptical about this law. I think that it runs afoul of the Second Amendment. My hope is that the courts quickly come to the same conclusion and uh, take this uh, take this off the books. But uh, more than that, I'm going to review these on a case-by-case basis. And I'm trying to think of which crime, and I wonder if they'll have an anecdote. Tell me the crime that had this law existed, would have been prevented. What's that crime? What's that thing we've read about where we're like, oh my God, somebody or somebody's got shot. If only we'd have had a finable misdemeanor offense that would have prevented them from bringing their gun onto this property, that crime wouldn't have occurred. I am anxious to hear what that is. If you know what it is, text it in or call us in. 303-696-1971. Got to cut away for a break here because we went so long with Sherry. Got to tell you about Gay Ribble with the Empower Home team at Keller Williams. It's that time of year, folks, when it starts to get warmer. And I know it's just the end of January, but with these temperatures, dang, starting to get more listings in that little email that I get every day from uh, that realtor buddy of mine. And I'm telling you, now is the time to start acting. Because if you wait for the mortgage rates to come down, like everybody else does, the feeding frenzy on these limited homes is going to drive the price up far in excess of anything you might have saved with that lower interest rate over three, over 30 years. Call Gay Ribble and the Empower Home team at 303-696-1971 and ask them, what's the best place for me to start looking? If, if you don't have to be tied to a geography, what's that best place in the metro area? Where are the hidden gems? They know it. Or if it's, I've got to be in this area, they'll find you the best house. They'll help you get in it. Uh, they also get you 100% of your asking price in the time that you agree to, or they make it up for you uh, to you with cash. Check out 833-301-SOLD, 833-301-SOLD. Or you can also check out Gay at GayHasTheBuyers.com. That's G-A-Y-E, GayHasTheBuyers.com. When we come back, your text, your calls at 303-696-1971. It's George Brockler, 710 KNUS. George Brockler, back with you here. A little bit of an echo in the ear, Bill. I don't know what that is. Listen, we're going to cut away for a break. We've reached the end of the hour, but I want to continue to talk about this in the next hour This one's a big one. This is real. And I appreciate Sherry's thought that this thing might be a Trojan horse to just get folks into court and to spend money instead of fighting the bigger issues. Stick around. George Brockler, 710 KNUS.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.